How many of you have ever been to some sort of conference? Professional conference or anything? A lot of you. And they give you these name tags, right? You know, hello, my name is, and then your name. And, and why do they do that? Identification, okay. So you have, you have some way to address each other, right? You have some, and it, it, sometimes it's awkward. You're like looking at it sideways, and, and you're like, you, you said your name was Andrew, but I don't know where the Z fits in, and, and you know, you're, you're trying to figure out how all this works out. And, but it helps us remember the person. It, help bridges, it helps to bridge the gap from you're just a person to you're Ron or Mark or, or Carl. And so it, it brings a personal level to that relationship. Names can be used for all kinds of things. Johnny Cash wrote a song named a boy named Sue, right? And the dad did that to try to toughen his son up. And I guess that would work because at the conference, hello, my name is Sue, just wouldn't, wouldn't really fit for that. But names mean something. And that's an example of a name trying to accomplish something, trying to mean something. But as we go through the names of God, we want to look at, okay, what do God's names mean? And we, we've spent, we had a week of introduction, and then Pastor Andrew talked about Elohim last week, and Adonai, and Theos, and Kyrios, and we got to know some of the, the major names of God. And we know in, in Scripture there are three primary names of God, and we looked at two of them last week. And Elohim, um, Theos, was the first one, God the Creator, God the powerful, eternal Creator. And that is a name that is used throughout Scripture as a general description of God, right? Elohim, or El, it's shortened to sometimes. And that was a name that was used of any God, but we know it was also used of the one true God. And, and other names like that might be Baal, or Allah, or, or things like that. Those were names that were a general name for God and who God is. Then Pastor Andrew talked about Adonai and Kyrios in the New Testament. And that meant master of everything. Lord, it's translated in the Word. And that's a, a title of God that gives us a description of what His authority is over our lives. He is Lord of our lives. He is Master of our lives. And those are two of the primary names of God. Today we want to come to the third primary name of God, and that's His personal name. It's like me saying I'm Ron. And that's Yahweh. And we'll spend some time talking about that, and then we'll start to look at other names of God today as we look at El Elyon and, and God Most High. But as we do this, I'm reminded again of what I, I shared with you a couple weeks ago. I, I, I pray that you'll indulge me because I still feel like a dirty, muddy pig bringing to you a diamond. And we'll just look at a couple facets of that diamond today of who God is. And as we do, as we look at each name of God, my prayer and my heart for village is that it just expands our view of who God is and how God wants to relate with us. How God wants to be our God and call us His people. And so we start with Yahweh, the self-existent, personal, faithful Lord. And I think that's up there. I can't really see. But let's go. Let's just say it's up there. If I'm talking about something that's not up there, just let me know. The self-existent, personal, faithful Lord. We'll unpack what each of those words mean because Yahweh, His personal name, is one of those names that is so rich with meaning and different aspects of meaning that we want to dig in and chew on it and enjoy it and really see why God calls Himself Yahweh. We heard last week that Elohim was the, the first name that was used right in the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. 
And it was used, I think you said, over 2,500 times. Yahweh is actually the most common. And in the Old Testament alone, it's used over 6,500 times. And so we come to the name that is most used of God. It's in every book of the Old Testament, except for Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And it's just pervasive. But I'd like to turn to the first time where we see His name revealed with the meaning that He gives to it. And that's Exodus chapter 3. We looked at this passage probably four years ago when we looked at the attributes of God. But turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And as we go through the names of God, we, we, our, our method of teaching will be to find a story and, and usually the first place where God reveals that name and say, why did God reveal Himself in this way? What can we learn from that? But in Exodus chapter 3, we, we come to God revealing His name Yahweh. And we know that the Israelites are in captivity or they're in bondage and slavery in Egypt. They're being forced to make bricks and build things for the Pharaoh. And they don't really see that deliverance that was promised to them. They don't see that land that was promised to Abram, the, the land that was promised to their forefathers. Instead, they just have to go work on bricks every day and toil for nothing. And so they're praying to God for deliverance. By the time Exodus 3 rolls around, Moses had already realized that he wasn't the Pharaoh's daughter's son. And he had gone and he had already killed an Egyptian slave master. And after that, he didn't know what to do. And so he fled to Midian, spent some time out there, married his wife out there, and he's a shepherd now in Midian. But God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't forgotten His promises, His covenant to His people, His love for His people. And so we see in Exodus 3, God intervenes to set His plan in motion. Let's read verses 1-12 through of Genesis 3, and then we'll dig into the the verses that talk about His name. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Yeah, I I would too. Why, Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God, and uses Elohim there, I am Elohim of your father, the God of Abram, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And we see right there, God to Moses was still a far off being that he was in awe of and fear of, and didn't feel he could look at or talk to. Verse 7, Then the Lord, or Yahweh, said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, 
I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And God extends a call to Moses in verse 10. He says, I am a God that remembers my covenant with my people and it is time. And so I'm coming to you and I'm sending you to Pharaoh to lead my people out. So we come to Moses' response because you would think, okay, God, great, let's do this. In verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel? With that question, we see Moses needs to know God in a different way. His answer is, I can't do that. How do you expect me to do what you're asking? And he needs to know that God is not a God that is far off, but God is a God that is a covenant faithful God who will be with him and a God who will fight for him. And so God answers in verse 12. He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He says, I will be with you. I will be the one that does the fighting for you. And the sign is, you're going to bring your people right here and they're going to worship me. And then we get to the key verses for understanding Yahweh, the name of God. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is His name? What shall I say to them? And understand, last week's um, message on, on Elohim helps us understand this. Moses is saying, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you. And remember, that's a general word for God, right? That could be a word for false gods. That could be a word for the one true God. And so Moses is asking a legitimate question here. How do I tell them that you're the one God? And God said to Moses, Moses said, they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he gives the content of his name. And he said, being God, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you, a shortened version of it. And then verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Wow. And so God three times gives His name to Moses. He says, I am who I am. And that's the expanded version. Then he says, I am. And then he uses the, the, the core word that we use. My name is Yahweh. Remember, names have meaning. Names are God revealing Himself. And in this moment, God reveals Himself in a whole new way to Moses. He gives, himself, he, he gives Moses His proper actual name. Yahweh. And that changes everything, doesn't it? When we meet somebody, and, and I remember as a, as a child even, when, when I would talk to people, I was taught to say Mr. and Miss and show signs of respect in that way. And I can remember as I got into my 20s, someone would say, well, you don't have to call me Mr. So-and-so anymore. You can call me by, and they would give their first name. Well, what did that mean? That was like, ooh, Really? And that was a sign of a different relationship. That was a sign of a presence. 
that they wanted to be in relationship with me. That it wasn't this distance anymore. That's what God is doing here. He gives His proper name. And we have to understand some things about Yahweh. Yahweh is a, a verb, actually. And it means to be or to cause to be. And, and you might say, well, okay, what about I am who I am and I am? And, and that's actually the singular form of the verb. It, it's the root of the word. The, the word for I am is aye. And then Yahweh is more of a, a personal name, a, a full version of it. And so the, it's the same name. And God is saying some very, very key things about Himself in these verses. Now, a couple of things that I want to mention before we go on, and, and Pastor Andrew mentioned this a little bit, but understanding how to see Yahweh in the Word. And if you look at, at verse 14, you say, God said to Moses, I am who I am, and that's in all caps, and that's on purpose, because that's from the root for Yahweh. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Then in verse 13, 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord... And that you notice that's in all caps. Whenever the, you see the Lord in all caps, that's the word for Yahweh. If you look on the screen, you can see that I've put Lord and then um, lower, lower caps. And then God in lower caps. Every now and then you'll see that as well. Both of those mean Yahweh. And throughout this series, I'd like to be in the practice of when we see that, actually saying Yahweh instead of Lord. Because this is His name. This was His name that He gave us to understand who he is. You can see in the you might be able to see in the lower portion of the screen, Lord, when it's spelled as we would normally use it, is, is used for Adonai. And then um, God, as we would normally spell it, is used for El or Elohim. But this is really key in understanding as we read scripture, when God is saying, This is my name, this denotes a relationship with you like to, to look at one other verse that helps us understand this. Turn over to, to Joshua 7.7. 7. Joshua 7.7. 7. And we'll get into in a, a few minutes why they do this, but for now I just want to explain what they're doing. But in Joshua 7.7, 7, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God. Now which word there is in all caps? God, right? So we're like, well, it's, it's Lord in all caps for Yahweh. Well, there's combinations of the names of the Lord. And whenever there's a combination, it's sort of like piling on and multiplying. And God is intensifying the use of His name. In this case, in in verse 7, the Hebrew there is Adonai Adonai Yahweh. And so since you already had Lord, Adonai, they didn't want to say Lord, Lord. And so the Yahweh there, they translate as God, but they still put it in all caps so that we know that it's Yahweh. And He's saying... To, to there, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, Joshua is saying, O Master Yahweh, my master over everything. And then he uses his personal name, Yahweh, to show relationship. As we read Scripture that way, it just, it's, it's the diamond that opens up our eyes to who God is. And so, whenever you see that all, those all caps that has to do with who God is, and that His name is Yahweh. That's a little bit of classroom time this morning. We'll have a little bit more a little bit later. But this is God revealing Himself. And and there's several aspects in the name that I want to hit this morning. The first is that God is self-existent. 
the uncreated creating one. And when we think of the word to be or I am, it, it means that he never wasn't. He has always been. There is never a time that God was created. He is self-existent. He needs no one. He needs nothing, no item to be. He has always been. He eternally is. We see teaching like that in God's Word when we see that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this sets God apart as completely other. There is no other God and there is no false God that can say, I always have been. Only the one true God. Only God Almighty. All false gods have been created at some point. Sometimes by cutting down a tree and making an idol. Sometimes by carving a rock. Sometimes in the the imagination of man. But Yahweh always has been. And always will be. Does that start to blow your mind? That He was never created? All other things have been except for Him. Because of that, oftentimes throughout the Old Testament, we see Yahweh in contrast to false gods. Because false gods could be any god, Elohim, and Yahweh is the one that always has been, the one true God. And it's His name. In Joshua 24, 14-15, the end of Joshua, which we covered just a few months ago, and, and they come to the end, and Joshua is challenging the people, who will you serve? Joshua uses this comparison. Now therefore, fear Yahweh and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve Yahweh. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve Yahweh, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region, the false gods beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. The one who always has been. Really, who else would you want to serve? the created false God or the one true God who has created all things. He is real. He is alive. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. He is self-contained. That's the God we serve. And that's why He cannot be moved. That's why He is faithful. He is God. Part of whenever we see the word Yahweh, we should think of how just enormous God is. He is the creator of all things. He is the God of history. He is the God of the present. He is the God of the future. Moses forgot that when he said, I can't. Because to him at that point, Elohim was just a God of his forefathers. And by God coming and saying, my name is Yahweh. I am. I am with you now. Moses came to a new understanding of who God is. And so the word Yahweh means to be, but it also means to cause to be. And it has a causative um, side to it, and, and that's part of the, the verb. And so to cause to be, it means that God, that Yahweh created all things. He sustains all things. He's the Lord of all. He is the one who is and who brings all other things into being. And so really to Moses, he's saying, The one who is and the one who causes all to be has sent you. Where where does that leave Moses with his objections? Uh, uh, There's no objection because God is all. He he is greater than all. He is the, the creator and the sustainer. 
And God here, as He talks to Moses in Exodus 3, He's using repetition. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. And He's trying to use this repetition to say, I am totally and completely God and always have been, always will be, and all things exist because of Me. He brought the totality of all things into existence. We see this throughout the, New, the Old Testament and, and I can't get to all 6,500 passages this morning. I would love to, but um, Amos 4.13 gives this aspect of Yahweh. For behold, He who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is His thought, what is His thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, Yahweh, the God of hosts, is His name. He's Creator and Sustainer. God is all else that exists becomes. Think about that this morning. That is the God we trust. That is the God we worship. Now we can come away with this aspect of God, of of Yahweh, with just a a mind-blowing awe of God, and we should, and He can feel so far off, and that we should be afraid of Him. But don't forget the other aspect of Yahweh, that this is God's distinctive personal name. This has to do with relationship. So the God who is enormous and we should be filled with awe says, hello, my name is Yahweh. Let's talk. And He is far off, but He is near. And I know in Reality Check, you guys talked about that this week. That's all in Yahweh. This name just brings it all together. There is no other false god that was called Yahweh. Only the one true God. Yes, there was the general name Elohim and other gods like I mentioned were called El or Baal or Allah, but only the one true God was called Yahweh. I think of this with Elijah. And if you remember the confrontation with the prophets of Baal and remember the stones and pouring water over the altar and then God, uh, Elijah praying to, to Yahweh, bring fire down. And in 1 Kings 18, 37-39, we see the end of that story. And, and Elijah says, Answer me, Yahweh. Answer me that this people may know that you, Yahweh, are Elohim. And that you have turned their hearts back. And so there's a, there's a, a, a fight here. A, a, a decision point. Who is the true God? Then in verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord, or the fire of Yahweh, fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, He is Elohim. Yahweh, He is Elohim. They said it twice. Because they were so amazed that this was God. And so God Almighty who is enormous and awesome and majestic, gives us His personal name to draw near to us. To most modern Jews, incidentally, this is still the primary name for God. This is still the the personal name of God. Because it says, I'm here with you and I want to be known by you. This morning, we may be coming into this room with all kinds of different versions of God in our head. All kinds of different impressions of God. And we need to be in awe of Him. But this morning, we also need to realize He is the God who comes near. Who gives us His name so He can talk to us. 
Remember at the end of Exodus 13, the passage that we said um, in verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And he's identifying with, with their history, saying, same God. But then he goes on, This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. He wants us to know him. That's why he gave us his name. Don't ignore him. Seek him. Know him. The third aspect of Yahweh in your notes is Yahweh is a covenant name for Israel. God is faithful. Trust him. And this story, this time that God chose to reveal this name is a time where Israel was wondering about God's faithfulness. Have you forgotten us, God? And we sometimes feel that way in life, don't we? Circumstances just pound in and we're like, have you forgotten God? And and these people God had given promises to. And that's why throughout Exodus 3, and we don't have time this morning, but if you look ahead to Exodus 6, God brings this name up in terms of, I remember you. I remember my covenant to you. I am Yahweh. And so Yahweh became a symbol of their covenant with God. And so whenever they'd start to feel down, they'd be like, But God is Yahweh. He remembers His promises. He will do this. No matter how I'm feeling, no matter what circumstances look like, Yahweh is faithful. He's a covenant God. An active God, not a passive, lifeless idol, but a continual active being who keeps His promises. So if we had to summarize this, Yahweh, He would say, I am truly He who exists and created the totality of all things, and I am with you, and I am faithful to you. Amazing that God Almighty would say, I am with you, and I am faithful to you. He didn't have to, but He did because He loved us. A couple of other observations about the name Yahweh, and in your notes you see Jehovah with a question mark, and we're going to talk about sort of what, what happened, where Jehovah came from, and this is back to classroom time. So just indulge me for a moment, but it helps you read your Bible and helps you understand what's going on. We saw in Exodus 3 that God intended the name Yahweh to be remembered, to be used, because that was a sign of relationship. And early on, we know that they did that. In Ruth 2, we see Boaz giving greetings and the blessings are Yahweh be with you. And they would answer, Yahweh bless you. And so that was a greeting and they weren't taking it in vain. They just They were honestly praying that God would bless them. But then as time went by, they they sought to treat His name as holy, which is a great thing to do, right? In Isaiah 57, it says, "For, For thus says the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And so they started trying to find ways to treat God's name as holy, rightfully so. And scribes would start to wash their hands ceremonially before writing it. So as they were copying Scriptures, whenever they'd get to Yahweh, all 6,500 times or 6,800 times, they'd wash their hands ceremonially so, so that way they were clean to be able to write it. Other practices started coming up in different regions. Some scribes would switch their pens after they wrote the name Yahweh so they wouldn't write anything common after writing this holy, precious name. We, saw, we, we can see in history that they wouldn't mention other gods' names or false gods' names in case they mentioned both the true God, Yahweh, and another name. And, and those two names came out of the same mouth. And Exodus 23 talks about that. 
And so they were determined to avoid any misuse of Yahweh. But over time, that began to morph, as so many times our traditions do when we forget why and we just start practicing a tradition. So eventually they started not wanting to say the name Yahweh. And at first they would say Hashem or or the name, and that would represent Yahweh because that was too holy to say. And then we we fast forward to about 163 B.C., 160-some years before Jesus, and we see Antiochus Epiphanes. He comes in and desecrates the temple and sets up an altar to Zeus and, and, and offers to false gods. And there's the Maccabean Revolt. This is a quick history lesson. You can study more of this. And at that Maccabean Revolt, revolt they came in and they purified the temple. And they cleansed the temple. And, and historically, at that point in time, it looks like the Israelites stopped saying the name Yahweh altogether. And in fact, as scribes would read, they would, instead of Yahweh, they would say Adonai, or Lord. And so you begin to see why in our English translations we see Lord, even in all caps, for Yahweh. We see Matthew using words like Kingdom of Heaven instead of Kingdom of God. And we see that that tendency already in effect there. In fact, in Jewish tradition, if you... um, the, the aspect of not saying Yahweh grew and it became a capital offense. Something that would exclude you from the afterlife if you said the name Yahweh. The challenge in this is Yahweh is His name. It's what He said He wanted to be remembered by. And so fast forward and we're, we're getting to Jehovah and, and Jehovah is one of those words that actually is not a name of God. It's a mistake. And some of you are like, what? I have always used Jehovah and Jehovah Jireh. And we used to sing a song called Jehovah Jireh. And, and Jehovah actually came to represent Yahweh. But what happened is fast forward about 700 years and we get to somewhere between 700 and 1,000 af- years after Christ. So A.D., um, we, the Masoretic text was being work, worked on. And some of these scholars and scribes were working through this. At this point, they didn't even know how Yahweh, the name, was to be pronounced because it hadn't been said in 700 years. And so they, they come to that word and they're like, I don't know, is it, is it Yahweh? Is it whatever it was? Because in the Hebrew writings, you have to understand, they only used consonants at that point in time. And so let me put up an example here. A Hebrew text would look something like this. They also didn't use spaces. I, I can remember in Hebrew class, we all thought we were pretty smart and doing really well. And then the professor brought in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls and said, okay, read this. They're like, I have no clue. But if you think about this, without the consonants, um, Hebrew originally only was written with consonants. You guys all see that? Okay, so this was the Hebrew text. And so what they had was the, the consonants for Yahweh. Y-H-W-H, I can't even read what's up there. And so the, the Masoretes were like, okay, how do we do this? We're not sure how it is, but all of the scribes say Adonai every time they, they get to it. And so what if we took the vowels from Adonai and put it in Yahweh? And so there you get Yahowah. And as it transliterates into English, that became Jehovah. And so Jehovah is actually the consonants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai. Isn't that interesting? My, my Hebrew professor would just have so much fun when Jehovah Witnesses would come to the door. 
he'd talk about their name, and I'm not recommending that. But over time, scholars realized, and we've come to understand, that the pronunciation probably should be Yahweh. That is, is his name. And so we want to use that name. We don't want to make light of it. We, we don't want to take it in vain. We want to honor it as holy. But we want to know him because he wanted to be known. I'd like to jump forward to Christ and we'll look at a little more of his Christ I am statements when we get to the names of Christ. But turn to John chapter 8, 58 and 59. John 8, 58 and 59. Sometimes I've heard, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be Yahweh. And in John 8, 58 and 59, the Jews are coming to him. They're questioning him. They're trying to figure out what to do with this. Is he a teacher? Is he a scribe? People are starting to love him and they're starting to not love us as much, so we need to deal with this. And and they're questioning him in verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Because he had just talked about Abraham. Jesus had talked about Abraham. And in verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus uses Yahweh as his name. Before Abraham was, I am. I have always existed. And they would have understood this as he is declaring himself as Elohim, as Yahweh, as God Almighty. And in case we're wondering, well, oh no, they wouldn't have taken it that way. Read the next verse. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. See, stoning was the, was the, uh, the consequence for blasphemy, for calling yourself God. And so they understood right there, Jesus called himself Yahweh. And we know because of the doctrine of the Trinity that Jesus is God Almighty. The Holy Spirit is God Almighty. That God exists in three persons. And lest we ever say that Jesus was just a good teacher, that He was just a good example to follow, we have to take words like this where He says, I am Yahweh, and say He's either telling the truth and we're confronted with whether or not to follow Him, or He's a liar. There aren't any other options. We'll dig into that a little bit more when we get to the names of Jesus. So how do we respond to the self-existent, vast God, personal God who gives us His name to be known, and faithful God who keeps His promises? And I put a response there. Our response should be mind-blowing awe, undivided worship, and confident trust in Him alone. Who else do I worship? And what else do I trust? There is nothing else that is I am. There is no one else who is Yahweh. I'm going to skip some of the verses there. You can look those up. A couple of other just fun things. Um, you want to learn some Hebrew this morning? We've given you some names, right, uh, of God. But think about the word hallelujah. Do we ever sing that in worship? Can you guys say hallelujah? hallelujah. You know Hebrew. <laughs> hallelujah is a, a compound verb or a word, and this helps us understand what we're worshiping. Hallel means to praise. Yah was shortened for Yahweh. 
And so whenever you say hallelujah, you are saying praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Isn't that neat? It's not just a word we use to fill songs. To, to, oh, we don't have anything else to sing. Let's sing hallelujah a few more times. No, it means to praise God. And, and that as we understand the name of God, we understand that in Psalm 113, turn there real quickly. I, I, I know we need to move on to God Most High, but Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise Yahweh. Praise, O servants of Yahweh. Praise the name of Yahweh. Blessed be the name of Yahweh from this time forth and forever. Get a pattern there? The Hebrew there for praise Yahweh at the beginning starts with hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so some of our songs have hallelujah in it, and it's a way of praising the name Yahweh. Very specifically praising the name Yahweh. So next time we sing those, remember that. Seek to know Yahweh, the God who gets personal with us. I want to move on to our second name today and cover this quickly because then we want to end with a song. But our second name is God Most High. I think it fits with Yahweh. And here we begin to get into some of the compound names. If you see in your notes, the name for God Most High is El Elyon. And El is, is shortened from Elohim, meaning God or mighty God. And Elyon means to go up or be elevated or be exalted, sort of like to the top of a mountain. In fact, it was sometimes used, it was usually used in the superlative, which means highest. And so if you used it of a mountain, you were talking about the highest mountain. If you used it of God, you were talking about the highest God that is above and exalted above all others. One who is above all things as maker, possessor, ruler of all things, people and events, incomparable, subject to no one and nothing. So in summary, the highest exalted one and ruler. The mighty, most high God. And so we come to this as our next name. It's the next name we see revealed in Genesis. In the New Testament, the word is hupsistos. Hupsistos theos, the transcendent or exalted one. And it they, in, in, the, um, new, in the Greek translations of the Old Testament, they translate El Elyon with that word. And so think, when we think of God Most High, think of as a kid, think of my boys, if you've ever seen them out in the gym on anything, they're always playing King of the Hill, right? Who's going to be on top? And, you know, so one's trying to tear the other one down from the top, and they're throwing each other off, and we're on our way to the hospital, and, you know, all those good things of, of having boys... But King of the Hill, when we think of God Most High, it's not a challenge for King of the Hill. He is the King. He is the Most Exalted. He is higher than all else. Turn with me to Genesis 14. Genesis 14. And this is the first place in Scripture where God is revealed as God Most High. And a little bit of history to this. Remember Abraham and Lot, his nephew, and they had been traveling together, and eventually they separated, and Abraham gave Lot his choice, and, and Lot looked on the, the mountainside. Do you remember what he chose? I'm going to take the best land for myself. That's green. And so he went down there, and he ended up eventually living in Sodom, an evil city. Well, as, as we, we look through history before this, summarizing it, Sodom was often being captured by other cities because they were always at war, and these city kings would band together and come and... and attack other city kings. And in this case, Sodom was captured by four powerful armies 
that had just defeated five nations, and Lot and all of his stuff and everyone in the city was, was carried off north. He was captured. And so Abram, he hears about this, and he rounds up 300 of his trained servants and said, we're going to go attack four powerful armies. Let's go. Their servants, they had to go. And so he goes after them, travels 140, 160 miles, catches up to them. He defeats the four armies, rescues Lot, brings Lot and all the people and and all the the goods back to, to home. Pretty amazing, right? On their way back, they get near Sodom which is and Jerusalem, which um, somewhere around the Dead Sea, and the king of Sodom comes out to greet him, and the king of, of Salem, which is now present-day Jerusalem, comes Melchizedek comes out to greet him. And that sets up the story where we're at here. The mighty Most High God has just won the battle. He's delivered. And we get this encounter starting in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. First place that name's ever used. El Elyon. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, third time already, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Because Abram realized this was Elohim. This was the God he worshipped. And so in gratitude to God... He gives him a tenth of everything that he had had, um, gained in this battle. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Trying to make a deal with them, even though he didn't um, earn any of it, didn't deserve any of it. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to Yahweh, God Most High. And we see the two put together, Yahweh and and, um, God Most High. Possessor of heaven possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of of the men who went with me. And he goes on to, to talk about that a little more. Interesting passage, one we don't often talk about. But there's a couple of things we see about God revealing Himself as God Most High. The phrases that are repeated there is that He is the possessor of heaven and earth and the Deliverer. And often, we see that God Most High El Elyon is used in this this context of someone needing deliverance. Because if I need deliverance, don't I need God Most High? Don't I need the God that is above all other things, that is the possessor of all things, the controller of all things? And so we see several times there, God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. And you see the, the first item in your notes there. Understanding this name is that God, El Elyon, is the possessor of heaven and earth and the deliverer. All of this, it's His. And this goes back to both Elohim and Yahweh. He created all things. It's all His. He controls all things. He sustains all things. And now He is greater than all things. God most high. Abram doesn't take anything because God Most High owns it all. He's showing his dependence on God. But also by taking part of the loot, by taking part of the bounty, Abram would have been saying, this was me. I won this battle. I deserve some of the spoils. But what does he do? He doesn't take any of it and he ties some of the spoils to God. 
And what he's saying is, this wasn't my battle. This was God's battle. I will not exalt myself above God Most High. What an amazing statement. Same is true in our lives. When we take the credit for good things that happen, when we take the credit for things in our life, God is no longer Most High. Now I am to some degree. And I'm supplanting El Elyon. Second thing that this name expresses is the supremacy of God. The supremacy of God. It's a superlative. He is the highest God. He is above all other gods. The God of gods. The ultimate God. And He puts all false gods in their place. In Psalm 97.9, we read, For you, Yahweh, are the Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let's not forget that God is God above all. And He is Most High over all. Third thing that it proclaims is it proclaims God as sovereign ruler over all. Proclaims God as sovereign ruler over God over all. If anything, and understand this, follow my logic for a minute. If anything can subvert the plans of God, is God most high? No, because that means if, if someone can tell God what to do, that means someone is higher than God. So if we proclaim God is God most high, that means no one can tell Him what to do. No one can alter His will. He is never surprised. He is not surprised with any circumstance that comes in our life. He has it all handled. He is sovereign. He is God most high. David caught this in Psalm 57.2 when he says, I cry out to God most high. El Elyon. And he just he surrenders himself. He cries out and says, God, you are God most high. And he goes on to say, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God is going to fulfill his purpose for you. Think about that for a moment. God is going to fulfill his purpose for you. And the things that we encounter and the, the health issues and the circumstances and the job issues... None of that changes that God is fulfilling His purposes for you. And that is, that, that's really hard to say. It's really hard to say as we see a number of our families having to move because of jobs and, and going through health issues and all kinds of things happening. And we're like, God, what are you doing? And God's answer is, I am God Most High. I am sovereign. None of those things are higher than me. So why are you stressing over them? That's hard to hear. And my heart breaks with some of you of what you're going through. But it's good to hear, isn't it? God knows. And the Most High God is sovereign over our lives. Next note in, in your notes, and we're not going to have time to get into this, but I'd love for you to read it. Satan and his demons often use this name for God. This was the trait they lusted after. Remember Satan's sin? What was his sin? I want to be like God. And if you read Isaiah 14, five times he uses this idea of supremacy. I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will sit in the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the Most High. And he uses El Elyon. Satan couldn't surrender to God. He couldn't handle that someone was Most High. And, and, and God proved that he was. And threw him down. And the end of time in Revelation, 
we'll see God's final victory where God asserts, I am El Elyon. I am God Most High. So how do we respond to this? Several responses there in your notes. God is the highest, the sovereign in every realm of life. We just talked about some of that. But think about this. God is most high over government. There is no election that surprises God. God is most high over our finances. He is most high over our jobs. He is most high over our heartaches. He is most high over your marriage and over your family. He is most high over your circumstances. He reigns over every force that is influencing your life. There's a confidence there. There's a trust there because Yahweh is also the covenant faithful God. Worry and fear melt away. Our God who does as He pleases is the Most High God that cares about us. Second implication there, the Most High is higher than me. (laughs) Keeps my pride in check. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel? Do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar did when he went out on, on his portico on, on the, the balcony and looked over his kingdom? What did he say? Look at this kingdom that I have built. I am so good. I did this. And do you remember what happened? And in fact, actually in Daniel 4, it says the words were barely out of his mouth and, and God went, Boom! and struck him to be dumb like a beast. And for seven years, he wandered around like a cow eating grass in the dew in the fields. This man who said, I did all this, God says, boom, you are not most high. And throughout this story, the the title that that Neb uses for God is El Elyon. And at the end of it, Daniel 4.34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. This is after the seven years. And reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. (laughs) He got it. And God humbled him. And he blessed the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Village. God is higher than you. God is higher than me. And that is a direct attack on our pride. Keeps our pride in check. Let's not think too highly of ourselves, but worship the Most High God. The other two there, be careful of anything in life we put above the Most High. Thinking of stuff, of possessions, of any idol we have that becomes more important than God. We are denying El Elyon when we do that. And finally, we should have a high view of worship. If God is the highest, and He is, He should be worshipped as such. Psalm 7.17, I will give to the Lord, to Yahweh, the thanks due His righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of Yahweh, the Most High. Psalm 9, I will give thanks to Yahweh with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And 1 and 2, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For Yahweh, the Most High, is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, Yahweh, we come to You and worship. Lord, we worship You because You are the self-existent God that needs no one. 
that you are a personal God who, despite your greatness, chose to pursue us and ultimately pursue us with your Son who died on the cross for our sins when we could not save ourselves. Oh Lord, we worship you. Lord, we praise you as El Elyon, God Most High. And Lord, I pray that whatever circumstances we are facing in this room, that this week you would help us praise El Elyon and say, God is greater. God is Most High. He is sovereign. And I will trust Him, the faithful God. Lord, these are just two of your names, two more. The man they've blown me away this week. They challenged my, me to trust you, to let go of things to you. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name.